everyone. And I am hoping that we have got some people live on LinkedIn with us and on Facebook. And, and I have to say thank you so much if you are watching this. But thank you also to anybody that's giving their, us their attention, who's walking their dog, driving their car, doing whatever you do, listening back to podcasts, or perhaps you're watching us on your YouTube, our YouTube playlist. And um, this is very exciting because Thomas and I have long waited to be able to introduce and to interview um, our guest today, Jeremy Castle, and his guest, uh, Tom Bird. And today we're going to be talking about really deeply talking about the subject of selling because I think all yes. business development, whichever way you like to, to think of it. Let's call it selling. <laughs> because and let's face it, we are all doing it all of the time. But something I do want to talk about in a minute is the fact that some people have lost the art of it and is actually massively affecting their their careers and their ability to grow their own businesses. So I love buying things and I love selling things. I know you do. Actually, I, I love I, buying I, things I as do, well. I back to, in the cage, Thomas. I, back in the cage. <laughs> I do tend to be the one that buys, which is probably not so good. Anyway, um, so um, Jeremy, we are going to be talking a lot around this subject, and um, I want to introduce you as one of our BIP one hundred experts. Now, for anybody that's saying, "Well, what the heck is that?" Uh, BIP 100 is a community Thomas and I started in October 2020, and it was a decision we made, having some of you all know, we did, did build a community of 650,000 business owners back, back uh, between 1998 and 2012. We decided to build community again, and we decided to just build it with 100 incredibly skilled, talented, and also people who had a commonality of kindness and values and it's been hard to find them, I have to say, and it is hard, uh, it is hard um, but it is a phenomenal community. We now have um, 70, 76 members of this community, and, and Jeremy is one of them. And today, um, on a Wednesday at 1.30, we go live with this broadcast, and then some of you may be watching, listening it through some podcasts or later on. Um, we do this because we have both have wide networks. And I think one of the biggest or we think one of the biggest challenges in business is not just getting clients. It's finding phenomenal suppliers for your business. Exactly. And we want to help bring really phenomenal people to you. But Thomas has screened and you won't believe what he does. How many people have you spoken to to get our 75? 1,600. 1,600 people. 1,600 so, Zooms. So... In- 16 months. Yeah. So you can imagine as you're listening to this, that if you are going to stay and give us your attention, that you are going to be given the chance to listen to some extraordinary talent. And hopefully this will have a major impact in you going into 2022, or you may already be in 2020 when you're listening to it. So that's enough about us. Um, What I really want to dedicate the rest of this to is you, the audience, the listeners, and how we can help you to understand this subject of business development or selling. And this is what we're going to really deeply explore. So, Jeremy, before I ask you to introduce your wonderful guest, Tom Bird, is there anything that you can add a little bit more about what you do and who you are as a person and, and why selling is so important to you as a, as a profession and as a career for others? Well, I spend my professional life right now working with leaders around presenting Uh, and influencing so that's a one-to-one thing and I spend the rest of my time when I'm not writing with Tom 
on three core areas, presenting, influencing and selling. So I or sometimes together lead groups exploring those things. So it's either one to one or one to many. Fantastic. And we are going to talk about your book because there's a brilliant lead up story that you're going to hear um, everyone, which is just a fantastic case study um, for us all um, about your book, which you're about to bring out the third edition of. And I think we can see brilliant selling behind uh, if you're watching this and can see the video. Um, That's what it's going to look like when it comes out. I, all uh, I've got is a, a printed version at the moment. Printed. Fantastic. It'll be coming out either very late December 2021 or early Jan 2022. And that's the third edition. Third edition, yes. Yeah. So, um, and the one that we can see behind you, Tom, is the first or the second edition? That's the first edition, the second edition, and all 12 languages into which it's... My mum forced me to put all of this up on a, on a wall behind me. <laughs> yeah, these are, the, these are the previous versions. I mean, it's been, it's, it's been around since 2009 when it was published. That's amazing, and you're oh, updating wow. it. 2009. Yeah. So you sold a few then? Yeah. Yeah, it must um, be uh, 75,000, I think, something like yeah. that. Wow, that's Absolutely. amazing. Absolutely brilliant. So we're going to come on to this a little bit more, first of all, by talking about the case study that I said I wanted to share with everyone of this just incredible experience of, of sales. So, Jeremy, before I do that, could you introduce Tom to, to us all? Of course I can. So be I'm careful, Tom. Jeremy, be careful. Yes, well, you pay, you, the check's already been banked. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I am delighted to be able to share with the BIP community and everyone else watching uh, Tom Bird, who was my business partner for, I think it was 12 years. I've known since 2002, although he remembers that, that more than I do. Um, and Tom and I share both a, both, share tons of things. We share lots of things in relation to professional values. For example, when we deliver development work, it's always focused on practical stuff. Um, and we built a business, a very successful business together based around coaching, consultancy, training, and writing books. So we've written four books. We've written them all together. We've co-created them. And if it wasn't for the, the, the both of us and what that brings, those things wouldn't have happened. So I'm delighted that Tom has joined us in from semi-retirement, I have to say, because Tom has been successful in, in his past life. He's considerably older than me, obviously, as you can see. <laughs> and, um, and so he is now working, you know, three or four days a week, a week rather than the six or seven that I typically do. Um, and, um, but he's, he's, he's decided to get off the sofa, come onto the other sofa and join us today for this session. So I'm delighted that John could, uh, that Tom could be with us. That is wonderful. Not John, Tom. No. And, and I have to say to anybody who is watching this as a video, um, we just had the classic scenario of Amazon and they wouldn't give up pressing that button to make ah. sure that we answer the door. Amazon so, always delivers something on always a Wednesday deliver. at this time, every week. We must be on that driver's circuit at that time. So apologies that Thomas left the room for that second. Anyway, so now I've sort of teased this in, but I do think it's fantastic. First of all, we are going to be talking about selling and we are going to come on to the story of a case study of, in fact, how your book came about. But the first thing I wanted to talk to, because some people might be politely giving us their attention, they might be curious about it. One thing that is my hot potato about the world now, and I joined and became a salesperson from eight, at 19, and I'm 57 now, so sales has always been in my heartland, 
is that social media, whilst I have been on that whole journey since we started in that world in 98, I love it for many reasons, but it has taken away the art of selling, in my opinion. There is so many people that we speak to who are not achieving their targets in business development, and they are relying far too much on that. And I just wondered what your opinion was on that. I would, I mean, I completely agree. And I think for me, when I started out, both Jeremy and I are the same in that we started our career in sales really early. You know, it was, it was one of the first things we did. And, and it became a very natural thing for us. And, and, and I think what's really important to recognize is that in any market, with any product or service that you're selling, there are likely to be people who ostensibly can do similar to what you can do. So there's competition. And so differentiation is going to be at the heart of that. It's going to be at the heart of your success. And it's really difficult to simply differentiate through social media. But for you to be successful, you need a network, you need relationships, and both of those are contact sports, as you both know. And I think the challenge is, you know, there was a recent study by Qualtrics that showed on average each adult in the UK is spending some 23 minutes of every hour trying to move people trying to get them to take on a new point of view, commit to action, change their mind. So that is the skill of influence. And that skill is central to selling. And if you're spending half of your working day engaged in the skill of influencing, you've got to be able to do that face to face. And I think, you know, we see a lot with perhaps younger people, uh, people younger than us, who rely on social media because it's the norm in terms of their daily interactions but they miss the fact that selling does require that relationship. And I I suppose, Jeremy, I I don't know what your view on this is, that when I am working, or Thomas particularly, is working to find our clients, um, it's very mutual because you want to know whether or not you're truly going to be able to add value to that client and whether they are going to be right. And, And I don't feel that unless you get to know that person well, you can know whether or not you're going to add that value. Well, precisely. But that and that what you just said there presupposes something that's really important in selling, I think, which is the best people in selling develop an adult to adult relationship. And, you know, you, you, you know, you, you understand probably the basis of transactional analysis. And the problem that you've got with a lot of people who are in sales is that they have a child parent relationship with their with the people who are who they're trying to sell to. And so. You know, I remember when Thomas contacted when we first started talking and everything, and it was very much an adult to adult relationship. So he didn't do anything in terms of desperately trying to get me to commit or to overcome my objections, all that sort of stuff, because that's that's playing a different role to the adult to adult. He we had a decent conversation. He allowed me some time to think about it. I came down. I came to the view that bit 100 was for me and I signed up. Um, So it's, you know. For me, it's, it starts with that, that proposition, which is you've got to develop an adult-to-adult relationship. Um, and the only way you can, and then so the behavior behind that is that you get really curious about the other person, if it's, if it's one person, and you want to ask questions. You want to build rapport. Uh, you, you are genuinely interested in the answers that the other person gives. And, of course, if you do that, then you naturally and unconsciously build trust which is the bedrock of any decent relationship, especially if you're trying to sell someone and get someone to say yes to a product or a service. So, yeah, that's my take on it. 
And just, just to add to that, I think the important thing about this adult-adult relationship is that if you create a parent, a sort of child-to-parent relationship, when it comes to the point where you need to ask for the work or you need to make the sale, you need to close the deal, you come across to that other person as needy yeah. because you've set them on a pedestal. Whereas if you focus on this adult to adult relationship and if you believe the fact that 93 percent of the meaning of a communication is other than just the words, it's down to your body language, it's down to your voice tone. So that requires it presupposes a a face to face interaction or at least a Zoom interaction. Then when you get to that same point in an adult adult relationship, you can come across as hungry. And people yeah. want to buy from people who they see to be as hungry. They don't want to buy from people who come across as needy. So that desperate dynamic is, yeah. is a fairly critical success factor that a lot of salespeople miss out. And, of course, the more you rely on social media, the less able you are to build adult-adult. Well, it just puts such a big space between us and the person, doesn't it? What were you going to say, Thomas? Well, two, two things, Tom. One was the thing about being hungry. Are you saying it's good to put a cross the hunger of your desire to work with most definitely so we do a lot of work with uh, law firms and professional practices and and we research people who buy those services and one of the criticisms they consistently make of their professional advisors is that the advisor doesn't seem hungry enough or motivated enough or enthusiastic enough it's almost like it feels a bit un-british to say, look, we could do a really good job here. What do we need to do to secure the business? And I love it when somebody wants my business. I absolutely love to know that my business is going to be valued and that they want it. Exactly. Yeah, that's brilliant. Sorry, Jez. Yes, I was going to say, there's, there's nothing wrong with being passionate. And it's quite difficult to be passionate via social media, for example, using your initial point. It's much yeah. more difficult to do that, isn't it? Because you're you're often sharing knowledge or insights or adding to your credibility, let's say, but you're not sharing your passion and your enthusiasm for the work. So, yeah. Jez, do you think people are hiding behind social media to avoid selling? Well, I think they, they can fall into that trap, certainly. They, they, they possibly think that, you know, uh, sales and marketing is the same thing, whereas we know it's not. So... I think there is, I mean, you know, obviously nowadays you're selling in a hybrid way, aren't you? Either face-to-face if you can get into people's offices yeah. um, or via Zoom or both, you know. But it's absolutely critical to to, to do that. Whether in Whatever mechanism you choose, yes, you've got to be able to, give, to be in a position where you can influence an individual or a group to uh, to come to the decision that they want to work with you. Yeah, so well, the, re- the reality is, of course, that people buy emotionally first and they justify it logically. Yeah, and yeah. so and so too many people forget that. And if you don't believe me, think of the last discretionary purchase you ever made. You just wanted it. And then if you needed to, you'd have built a logical justification. And too many salespeople and professionals are great at the logical justification. The trouble is they're presenting it to people who have not yet emotionally engaged. The only way to emotionally engage correctly is to create that adult adult relationship. And you've got to do that through interaction. I love that. Do you know, I've never... I was talking to my therapist yesterday. Very open about the as you do, Penny. Oh, as you as do. Therapist. Yeah, you are. But I've got to have a lovely hour every week. With this is the part-time therapist. Yeah, I do feel sorry. You would not want to have to listen to he me. He only pops over for an hour a week. I don't, I don't understand what he's up to. <laughs> anyway, we digress slightly. 
But we were talking about transactional analysis on that, which is really interesting. Um, a few challenges that I'm having at the moment and some family dynamics and different, not my own personal family, but, and um, God, I, I am on the sofa. It's like I'm asking for my own therapy session. <laughs> um, um, but actually I've never heard transactional analysis connected to um, selling and I absolutely love it and I'm 57 and I've learned that for the first time and that is what you guys are all about because you make so much sense of this subject and it's so it's, it's absolutely brilliant so this phrase that you use Tom and you've used it as well Jez this emotionally engaged before the logical uh, argument or the logical transaction or the justification of the purchase how do you get people emotionally engaged? What are the secrets to that? Well, there's there's a few. Uh, maybe if I start, Jeremy, I know you'll 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 chip in. But I think what it what, where this where this comes from is the fact that most salespeople, if 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 you go back to the point where a salesperson is having a a face to face meeting with somebody, they may have taken a while to get that meeting. It might they might feel under pressure to get as much done in that time as they possibly can. So the danger is they try and lead too quickly. So they do a little bit of small talk and it feels like they're just doing something for the person because it is just a quick couple of questions in order to open the door for them to go in and get the PowerPoint deck out, talk about the product or the service, whatever it might be. And of course, what that misses is that you are not the most important thing in that person's day. Uh, it's very unlikely that you are. And you don't know what's happened to that person before you walk in the door. So to lead too quickly runs the serious risk of leaving them behind. So one of the things that I know Jeremy will probably expand on is, is this concept called pacing, where before you start talking about what's on your agenda, before you try and pack so much into your 45 minutes that you leave them reeling, you've got to convince the other person that you get them, that you understand them. And there's a bunch of ways of doing that, but to lead too quickly runs the risk of leaving them behind. I don't know whether, Jeremy, you want to expand. Well, it's, it's actually, it's not something we've come up with. It's an, it's an NLP idea, neuro-linguistic programming. And, and it's, a, it's a presupposition of it, which is this idea of pace, pace, lead. So in order to lead someone to where you want to get to, in other words, in this case, buy and make a decision, you've got to pace them. And pace them, pacing them is about putting yourself in, in their shoes, understanding their world, asking the right questions, listening carefully, summarizing, throwing it back so that it's properly, uh, so that so it's under the, the, both parties understand where you are. And you then build that emotional connection, which gives you permission to then lead to where you want to get to, which is to sell your product or service. If you don't do that first part, you are, you'll come across as a desperate salesman. Um, and you will create resistance in the buyer uh, or decision maker, which will prevent you from being able to sell. And so that's ironically, we come up, we do a lot of work with professionals and, I, and they totally get it. But what they do in a meeting is they go in and say, we're from X, we're from X law firm. Aren't we brilliant? Let us show you all about how wonderful we are in employment, pension, real estate, whatever it is, uh, tax. Um, do you want to buy off us? You know, yeah, we've only got 50 bullet, we've only got 50 PowerPoint slides, so it'll only exactly. take us 45 minutes. And they wonder why they're not successful. I think the other thing about this idea of pacing is that the first step is to help the other person understand that you get them and that you're interested in them, which is the pacing piece. But we often use this, Jeremy and I use it as a planning tool. So if we're going to go into an organization and we're meeting with somebody, 
first thing we do is say, look, what does this person or these people, what do they need to feel about us at the end of this meeting if we're going to get another meeting or if we're going to get the deal? So we label that emotion and then we say, well, what might they be feeling at the start? And that gives you a delta, doesn't it? It gives you the journey. None of this is about a PowerPoint. None of this is about my, our product or service. This is about what's the, what's the emotional gap that we've got to bridge. And if it is, for example, apathy at the start, motivated to act at the end, if that's our journey, you're not going to do that by flicking a switch or showing a slide. We have to move that through stages. So, for example, apathy to open to listen, open to listen to curious, curious to engaged, engaged to motivated to act. That's more manageable. And you can use that as a way of emotionally planning what you need to do in order to move that person through yeah. that transition. That's very good. Uh, very, very good. Tom. I love those steps. And actually, um, thank you again to our listeners. Please stay with us because we're going to get on to some really uh, the seven brilliant stra- selling strategies because we've already been sharing a lot of tips. Before we do that, um, there was something about sort of empathy and the fact that you were talking about and the fact that ultimately people don't want to be sold to, but they do like having problems solved. And unless you, unless you discover what their problem is, you're really on a hiding to nothing. And um, I just think that your story, your shared story about how brilliant selling as a book came to market is fantastic. And Jez, I don't know whether you want to sort of start and pass over to Tom, but I'd love us to hear this story from you, Jeremy, um, because it's just a brilliant example. Okay, well, and I'll try and I'm a bit of a long talker, so I'll try and keep it as brief as I can, but it's, it'll, it'll take a bit of time just to set the scene. So exactly. So look, picture the scene. We're at the Charing Cross Hotel. It's spring 2008. It's late afternoon. And we're about to go into Pearson's to what we think is sealing the deal on a book that we put together. So the we're, we're all excited. We're thinking we're going to be, you know, we're outside this imposing Pearson's building. We're ready to sign the deal. We're confident, highly motivated. We've done the legwork. We're well rehearsed, et cetera, et cetera. When we get in there, the guy, they look a bit shifty and they, they're sort of averting their eyes. And one of them says, um, you know, we really appreciate you coming in here today. Um, it's great to meet you both. We really loved your proposal. Uh, and as we said in the email, we believe the first chapter is very well written and you give us all the information you need in the body of your template. And we were waiting. We, Tom and I both, I think, were like, there's a flinch here. What's going on? You know, and we were waiting for the caveat. And soon enough, it came. It said, having spent some time reading your book proposal and I, in investigating the, the market, researching it in more depth, we've got bad news. Unfortunately, we don't believe that a book on sales management will sell. So we, Tom and I, in the previous year, had decided we wanted to write a book for a variety of different reasons, but mainly to boost our credibility and get into more markets. And we thought, well, there's lots and lots of books on uh, selling. So let's not do a book on selling. And there are lots and lots of books on management. Let's not do a book on management. What about the one in between? There aren't that many books on sales management. So we thought there was a real niche there, actually. There still is, we believe. But the point is that we got there. And we, we then said, well, look, we don't want to be uh, we don't want to write a book that's not going to be pub that's not going to be s- selling and won't even be published. And in that and, and the reason I think this is quite useful from a sales perspective is we could have just left tail between our legs. And that was the end of the meeting. But because we're both salespeople, 
and I, we both we both dispute who said what, of course, at this stage. But one of us said, um, what other books are you going to be publishing in the next year? And the commissioning editor said, well, we've got a range of books we're coming because we, this is a brilliant series. We want to try and get up to 45 um, books in the series. We're on about 20. One of the books we're going to be uh, we're going to be commissioning is brilliant selling. So we said, OK, well, and where are you in your decision making with that? So they said, um, well, it's got to be wrapped up within the next 48 hours. We've got six proposals in from various different people and we're going to make a decision on Friday. Well, this was Wednesday. So we said, because we're salespeople by nature, we said, OK, so you haven't you. What you're saying is you haven't decided yet. You're still looking at proposals. On the basis we've come in here and you like our writing and you like what we've done so far, would you be would you be open to receiving a proposal from us? They looked at each other. Yeah, why not? But you need to get it in within 48 hours. So we 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 booked ourselves back into the Charing Cross Hotel. We cancelled everything that we had for the next two days. We wrote the first chapter. We wrote a pricey and overview of the book. We got it in within the time, time slot. And the following week, we got the deal. That's amazing. I just absolutely love it so tom when you unpick that what are the big um tips that we can all take from that well there's a couple i think i I think first of all expertise in your subject area it's often not for a lot of people it's not a differentiator it's just a seat at the table lots of people could put across the expertise they've got so a level of knowledge is a given but it's not always a differentiator. The second thing is you've got to spend time on the important non-urgent task of planning. And what what that allows you to do is to do what Jeremy and I did when we were in that meeting, which was you can adapt, you can respond. But if if you don't do the planning, you don't respond, you just react. And And a reaction is something that happens without thought. And it often doesn't take advantage of opportunity. The fact that you spend time planning, and I remember us sitting in the hotel thinking about, you know, this pacing idea and so on. It means that when the opportunity presents itself, you're ready to grasp it. And that's how so many sales happen. They happen because you poll in advance, and Jeremy and I have done that. We had asked in advance, who's going to be present? What are, what, what are their needs? What are they looking for? And, it, and it's all of that work that you do as the foundation that means when you're ready when you're in the room you can adapt to the opportunities as they present themselves and so as oh sorry joe no i think it's also just that thing that we've already said about having the confidence to 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 know to believe that you can do something and even if they didn't want that book on sales management that confidence came across people tend not to buy from people who don't display confidence so i think it's all of that yeah, absolutely. But you know, when I'm when I'm because I'm a bit of an empath, so when you tell this story, I am that I am you. And <laughs> when I hear the no, I feel that oxygen just leave my brain. Right? I just can feel it. And that is how most of us react because we go into stress and disappointment. And how did you hold yourself at that point? Because I know there's that gap between stimulus and response. But how did you how what is the technique for a salesperson to hold themselves in that space? Well, there's a there's a few things, actually. And I, I know while well, Jeremy will come back with a couple of these ideas. But the first thing is you, you've got to you, there isn't the, the reality is there is no change without self-awareness. So the first thing is before you go into a situation, you, you've got to think about, well, how am I feeling about this? 
what would I feel like if this happened? Because, yeah. because confidence and your state of mind is by far the most important thing in making a successful relationship happen. So the first thing is you, you audit what you feel and you think, if it's not helpful, you think, what could also be true that would be really helpful for me to hold front of mind? But there's something about your confidence uh, there's also something about as part of your planning, Jeremy and I will often do this, we'll sit down and we'll think, right, what are the five worst questions or worst objections that we could possibly get? And let's plan how we might address those, how we might meet those over those objections. And what that also does is that if you've worked on your responses to the five worst objections you could possibly get, when you walk in the room, you're far more ready for anything they might throw at you because subconsciously you're already prepared. I don't know whether, Jeremy, you've got anything to add to that. No, that's so, Jeremy. Yeah, go on. The, the secret to brilliant selling is preparation. Is that what Thomas just well, said? Well, it, it is partly that. And, and, you know, prepare like mad and then act as though you're spontaneous. That's one of the things you can do. And, um, and we actually got a chapter on this called Persuasion and Influence that we might touch on later. But... We've nicked the word persuasion, which I suspect you've come across, from Robert Cialdini. I actually got a, I got a LinkedIn message from Robert Cialdini. He said, regards Bob the other day. But anyway, that's a different story. Oh, wow. Um, I know. Very exciting. That's reassuring. It is, exactly. It does exist and it does respond. But this idea of persuasion, I think, is really important. So your, your average salesman, your salesperson, sorry, I should say salesperson, your average salesperson or, or someone who is in the sales environment often don't spend enough time on the preparation element because they tend to be people who are good in the moment, uh, who, who just think, oh, I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll wing it. I'll wing and it. So they, you know, and so they have a wing it mentality, which can often work, that's good, but they haven't done the persuasion. And what, what Cialdini argues, and we would argue as well, is a lot of the influencing happens in the persuasion. You know, so let's say it's before a, a face-to-face meeting, you know, you're sending an agenda and going, are you happy, Thomas and Penny, with the agenda I've sent? Or what do you want to add into it? You know, yet you've immediately got a yes. Um, and then you've, you've created the structure for that meeting. They haven't, you have. So that's already a win. So you can do tons of stuff. And as Tom said, persuasion is partly about thinking through the, the questions they've got, doing all the LinkedIn profiling and thinking about the people you're trying to influence in the moment. But the second element of it is this idea of utilisation, which I think is really important, which is what all good comedians do. And that is in the moment, if you're getting a heckle from the crowd, do you buckle? Because that's what you're, th- you're talking about, Penny. Do, you know, does your, does your oxygen drain from your body and you think, oh, my God, they found me out. I'm, I'm not a very good comedian. I'm going to now scuttle off the stage. And no, no great comedians use the heckle uh, to their own advantage and they make the situation even funnier. And so the best salespeople, that, that heckle is the objection. It's the comment back. It's the thing that's unexpected. And your job, that's when you get paid. That's when you are, that's when you are getting paid. Because it's easy. Anyone could just say, let me show you this service. Let me show you this product. But your job is to meet that heckle, that objection, that, that hurdle to the sale, and meet it head on, remain in a resourceful or coherent state and and answer it successfully so that you can win the win the work yeah i love that actually you make it sound like it's an advantage if you're a salesman and also a comedian (laughs) well that's what you base your that's what you base your career on isn't it thomas 
but it helps that they, so it's no it's it's about being open to it's a, partly about being open to humor but it's about being open in the moment because if you prepare like mad you know you've done all that stuff so you know who's in front of you you know what's happening with their organization you understand the product you've got the product knowledge and all the rest of it but that's not going to make the sale is it you know it what's going to make the sale is what you do in the moment so people, um, mm. so there's a sense here that a salesman goes in and they think, I want to have control of this meeting, but none of us want to be controlled. None That's of us right. want to feel that we're being controlled. And so how do you think, so I know, Tom, you want to say something, I don't know whether it's relevant to this or not. Carry on. No, it's a really good, a really good point you're making. So, so um, how do we get the balance of leading and feeling like this is going in the right direction for me, but not making the other person feel that they've lost control. And Great. that it is that parent-parent that you were talking about. I think there's a few things. I think, first of all, just considering an agenda and getting clarity on the with the other party that that's a relevant agenda. So, first of all, let's agree... What, what we're going to discuss and what the outcomes are, because you want shared outcomes. And Jeremy and I are great believers in being upfront with sharing the objective, the objective that you've got for a meeting. And it, we'll, we'll often go in and one of the first things we'll do is say, look, any one of the things we want to get to at the end of this meeting is an agreement in principle that you'd love to work with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll be, we'll be uh, motivated and enthusiastic about that, but we'll be upfront. And then we know that's where we're headed, right? Now, within that, once we've done that, we then have to step back and begin to ask more questions because the big failing of a lot of salespeople is they sell too soon. They, yeah. they, and, and, and unless you've got enough information, build a foundation of knowledge, the context for what you're doing, to find out what's driving those decisions, the chances are when it comes to making sell, you miss by going the wrong direction. Absolutely. And I think this point is linked with control You've got to be confident enough to know what you want and confident enough to articulate that. And then this is the key, confident enough to stand back and be led a little bit more by that client and and respond to that. Don't try and shoehorn them into something that they don't want to talk about. And for me, it comes back to that idea of what we're talking about before. Uh, There are no you think about a really good tennis player. A tennis player might be able to power. Yeah, exactly. Respond to a really, really difficult shot. But they can't do that just by turning up and playing once a month. They put that groundwork in. And I think that's the thing that's missing for a lot of people. Because that groundwork and that prep is important and not urgent, they prioritize other things. And the only time that becomes an issue is when you go into a meeting, you're thrown a curveball. And you yeah, yeah that's, that's really good can you believe we've only got 10 minutes left oh, i know it's unbelievable and um i think we have you've already been so generous with the tips and uh, training i mean you can tell the two of you are very natural mentors and trainers um and sales people and, and sales people <laughs> yeah i'd buy anything from you too um is um you've got this new book coming out it's the third edition some people, when it, first of all, when is it coming out? Either on, at the moment, uh, December the 29th is the, is the potential publishing oh, really? date, or it's likely to come out early January, though probably there's a paper shortage for, oh, yes. uh, for, for oh, at yeah, the moment. So, so can people already go onto Amazon and find it? 
They can go onto Amazon and pre-order it, yes. And okay. we're, we're not selling it via our own websites. It's being sold through Amazon, WH Smith, and, you know, Waterstones and all the typical independent right. booksellers. So if I went on now, you could secure it. the third edition would come up. Well, it'll give you the option between the first, the, the second and the third. So you need, right. and if you, if you pick the second, it'll say, actually, there's a third edition available. Would okay. you like that? Oh, so, you, yes, it, and it's, yeah. if you remember, if people remember it's that, it looks like that red. rather than it's red. red, for example. Okay. It's orange rather than red, then they'll remember it. And remember, people can't see that on no, a podcast. No, 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 it's red, it's red. Ah, <laughs> very true, Thomas. Thank you very much. So if you're watching us like this, if you're listening, it's orange. It's orange, it's <laughs> orange. For those in black and white, the, board, the blue is just behind the pink. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we remember that, although that's showing your age a bit, darling. So... Um, Seven brilliant selling strategies, and we've got a few minutes. I think almost like probably seven minutes, like a minute on each. So, can you alternate? You do one, you do one, you do one, you do one, kind of like that. Um, we'll we'll do a bunch, we'll do, we'll do, we'll definitely give you some answers though. Yeah, so the first, yeah, so go for it, let's go for it. So, we'll we'll give you a little, a few little tips. So, the the simple idea is we've written 35 chapters in this book, it's about 30% completely new material, the rest of it's been updated and edited to reflect this new hybrid world. So, we've come up with seven brilliant selling strategies, which is really taking into account everything we've written uh, and trying to create something that's manageable and easy. So the first thing is focus on focus on your buyers, which is a bit like the first habit of 12 habits of, of exceptional presenters, which is that at the heart of everything, it's your folk, you're trying to sell to a buyer and buyers have changed. They've become much more sophisticated. They do more research. There's often sophisticated procurement processes but you're still often having to sell to an individual. So your job as a salesperson is to focus on the buyer, identify what motivates them, see where you can add value and focus on matching your product or service with what they're looking for. So the first thing is focus on your buyers. The second thing is going to be leverage your sales process. And this is something that is seen by most salespeople as an inhibitor. They don't like process. They don't like following the stages. But this is built on on the fact that all exceptional salespeople not only understand and follow a sales process, but they recognize that you can only manage what you measure. You can only measure what you monitor. And when there is a world where I think some research says that only 2% of people uh, systematically plan, you've got this huge opportunity to start breaking down the process of selling and applying metrics around your behaviours and around your results to small increments. If you do that, you can test and adapt. If you don't do that, you're, you're kind of just doing the same thing you've always done and expecting a different result. But you that see, idea as a, of... As a woman, I relate to it, but I'm going to be very naughty, but it is my show. But it is like, you know, it's the foreplay, isn't it? You know, it is. It's the. I've made Jess cough there. I was going to say yes. That's to have a bit of a warm up. Of course, somebody tries to sell to you. That's that's kind of thrown me, but I think you're right. And some of us, some of us like to feel we're really good at the warming up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, There is there is some enjoyment to be had by both parties in the warming up. Absolutely, absolutely. but that leverage sales process is the second. If I cover the third and then hand back to Jez, yep. the, the third is around this idea of needing to persuade and influence. Now, out of brilliant selling, we did a lot of research. We came up with a model of effective influence called the C-cubed model that I won't go into here. But the persuade piece is really important. And at the heart of it 
is the reality that what you say to somebody first conditions how they respond to what you say to them next. The conventional wisdom with selling is it was all about the message and the close. It's not. It's now about how can you create an, an emotion in somebody before you ask for the business that makes them more likely to say yes to that. Yeah, I love it. Lots, love of, it. lots of research about that. So, yeah. so the, 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 the third strategy is that one about persuade and influence. So the fourth strategy, which is linked to, to the, the fifth strategy, um, is build a personal brand. So recently, I had to deliver three sessions, three webinars to professional service firms on personal branding. And what I was focusing on was they, they had a, a complete new strategy, which was why, and I'm not going to tell you the law firm, obviously, but why and then the law firm. So what I was suggesting to them is that's great because at a, at a senior, at a, a strategic level, everyone sort of can buy into that. The problem is it wasn't filtering down. So what I suggested to them was, You've got to filter it down as to why, then why this practice area, why this team, and then finally, why me as an individual partner? So you've got to be able to articulate the why um, all the way down. Mm -hmm. So that comes down to the personal brand. Um, and so personal brand is very important. And you can do a simple exercise around that. I mean, I did that on the webinar where you look at, you just think, think about your typical competitor in the same space and just think, what's your USP? compared to that capacity. What's your unique selling proposition? Yep. That's the first thing. What are you better than? So that's the second bit. And then what are you the same as? And what are you worse than? So the USP and the better than, those are the things you sell. And then the same as and worse than are going to be the objections. Right, so you've got, to, you've got to build your personal brand. That's, that's really important. And, and, that, and that comes out from, obviously, your online presence, but also what you're doing like, for example, writing books, that's part of your personal brand as well. And all the other things that, you, that one typically does. So is that does. number five? Is that number five? So that's number four. Number five is, the, is what we want to sort of coming into, which is architect and develop your online presence. So that's the bit that we've been, if you like, dissing in our conversation today. But it's still part of nice. the seven sales brilliant selling strategies, I think. So nowadays, unless you're a complete dinosaur, you're going to have some sort of online presence. Now, typically, professionally, it's likely to be LinkedIn. It might be Facebook. It might be Insta and Twitter and, uh, and TikTok and so forth. But it's pretty much impossible to ignore social selling now. So um, it's part of the way we interact. It's only part of it. But I think you've got to do it well. One in three in a recent survey said that social selling increased the number of leads. I got my best client last year through a, my link, a LinkedIn post and then developing a relationship with that individual. So you can't number ignore it. So that is five. Number six. Then six is it, and then I'll go throw back to Tom. Six is improve emotional intelligence. So right. obviously improving emotional intelligence. So the pre the pre sort of presupposition behind that is everyone has got emotional intelligence. But that element of it is, you know, just thinking about, you know, emotional intelligence is, is recognizing, understanding and managing your own emotions. And then, of course, recognizing, understanding and influencing the emotions of others, which we've talked a little bit about. And that's really critical because of this idea of emotional, emotional decision, uh, emotional connection and then justifying it logically. So the sixth one is about developing your emotional connection, understanding what's happening for you but also what's happening for the other party that you're trying to influence. And then we've got one final one, 
Which and we've got is, one yeah, minute. One minute yeah, left. I can do it in. I can do it in thirty seconds. So that one's about that. a growth mindset, and that's based partly on the work of Carol Dweck in her book. Uh, but in particular, what we notice from our research is that outstanding salespeople have a very different way of dealing with challenges, obstacles, and criticism, and they learn from it. and And there are some very particular strategies that we can teach that give you the ability to change a mindset from being something that limits you to something that you really do grow from. And although that sounds like we're all going to have a hug, um, there are some very tangible strategies that you can employ to become more effective with your mindset. So that's oh, the seven amazing. in a nutshell. That is, uh, that's 45 minutes. Yeah, that's absolutely oh. tremendous to get those seven brilliant selling strategies. Now, I'm just going to finish um, the last minute, making sure that you can, our audience can find the two of you. Um, and I want to remind you all to um, go on to Amazon and look up Brilliant Selling, um, which is going to be out the end of December. I think it sounds like a great gift as well to people. And I know, and we didn't touch on it today, but I think we should do another show some point once the, um, once the book is launched around young people. And I know, Jez, when we were talking, you were saying they're very fearful of the telephone and and things and so i think great gift for us all to learn how to sell better so brilliant selling out at the end of the month you can pre-order it now so please go and and look for that and finally um please look up our guests on linkedin um jeremy castle uh jeremy you'll know how to spell that castle is with a double s and a double l and tom bird i don't need to spell that i don't think um and uh, two quite remarkable guys. I've I've loved it. I've learned so much. Very good session. You know, it very really, very good uh, session. it's honed me a bit. It reminds me what's very important. And um, thank you so much. You got any last words? Well, it's about adults and adult and foreplay, really, isn't it? <laughs> That's mainly what it's got to. Yes, you, you needed to get that in. <laughs> Thanks very much for having us. Oh, that was wonderful. It Jeff. was great fun. Thanks for having us indeed. Thank you so and much. We'd like to come on. Cheers, Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. All the best.